0: Welcome to episode three of the Apostolic Bible Study Podcast. So, if you remember, in our first episode, we went over who is God. Next episode, we went over who man is, who is man. And now we're going to go over what the Bible is. So, we're going to pray and get right into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. I pray that you'd bless each listener, that our hearts would be open to you, that we would understand your word, that we would learn to love it as your people your sheep who hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know, there are many people um, who don't really understand why we as Christians are so focused on the Bible. You know, if there are folks who kind of look at the Christian world right now, especially in the United States, they see a lot of people, you know, they call them Bible-thumping you know, uh, right-wingers or whatever it is. People are so focused on the Bible and what the Bible says. Um, And there's a lot of misconceptions about that. But at the end of the day, the reasons that Christians love the Bible and the reason why we care about the Bible is because it ultimately has to do with who we believe God is. Um, The Bible is an essential part of how we understand God's nature because not only do we believe in a God who exists, but we believe in a God who speaks. That's a really critical point uh, to remember as we go along here is that Christians believe in a God who speaks and not only can speak, but who has spoken throughout history. In fact, the first thing that we read about God in Genesis 1 is that he creates the heavens and the earth by speaking. It says, you know, and God said, let there be light. And on and on the narrative goes. We read of God speaking all things into existence that we see in the natural world today. The stars, the moon, the sun, um, the separation of the waters, vegetation, whatever that might be. God spoke and it was created. And we see this reiterated in John 1 uh, when we're introduced to the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was made without that Word. All things were created through that Word. And yet we read as we go along in those early chapters in Genesis, that the first time we hear Satan speak, who goes by the name of the serpent in the early chapters of Genesis, we see in Genesis 3 the first thing that he does is he draws a question mark in the minds of Adam and Eve, Eve especially, and says, hath God said? This is his initial question. Um, Hath God said that you shall not eat of any tree that is in the garden? And Eve gives him a response. But what Satan is doing there, the critical thing that he's doing there is he's questioning the word of God. And by questioning the word of God, He's questioning the character of God. And so we need to understand now that as we live in a world that has severe, you know, always questioning the words of God, always questioning the Bible and the scriptures, we need to remember that that is a direct assault on God's nature. And we need to be careful about that. As Christians, we don't question God's word. We take God at his word and we trust in that. But why do we do that? Why can we look at the Bible? How is it possible that we can look at the Bible, at these 66 books that are contained in the Bible, and say, these are the words of God? And the first reason is because God tells us to do it that way. So if you go to 2 Timothy 3.16, this is one of the key verses to kind of outline what Scripture is. And it says this, hold on just a second, I'm pulling it up. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, this initial statement, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word in the Greek there is theopneustos, which means God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. The picture that we see of what these words are that we hold in our hands when we hold a Bible is God breathed out these words. They come from his very mouth. And this is outlined also in the words of uh, Jesus. Do you remember when he's tempted in the wilderness and... Satan comes and wants him to turn stones into bread. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, what was Jesus talking about there? He was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament had yet to be written. And yet he calls these Old Testament scriptures, who were written by folks like Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah all these different characters. He says, no, ultimately, all of their words proceeded from the mouth of God himself. So this brings us to a really critical point about the inspiration of scripture and how God inspires scripture. So the book that we hold in our hands when we hold the Bible, how did... Men write these words, and yet God be the ultimate author. And people have had different theories about this. Some people think that whenever you read, you know, so for example, uh, the Gospel of Mark. How did Mark write his gospel? Did God kind of come over him and say, "Hey, sit down. I have a I have a book for you to write," and just dictate everything word by word to Mark? Is that what happened with Moses when Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Well, sometimes, but not most of the time. There are some parts of Scripture that are direct dictations. Uh, You can read some examples of this in Jeremiah and in the book of Revelation, where God will come specifically to the Apostle John and say, Write this saying down, for this saying is faithful and true. And at that point, the dictation is pretty much clear. God is telling John what to write, and that's specifically how it goes. But that's not the way it always works. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us this, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost and and God, right? The Spirit of God is the the main person at work when Scripture is being written. And yet, these holy men of God are still speaking. And when they speak, they still show their own personalities and quirks and all these, these things that... We clearly see when we read the scriptures. So, for example, if you were to read the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is the word of God. God was the one who was the ultimate author of that gospel. And yet when you read it, you can clearly see John's personality. So this goes, there, there's a fancy term for this. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. And here's a, here's a little summary that you can... Um, That might help to solidify this in your mind. The effect of inspiration was to move the writers so as to produce the words that God wanted. So we believe that the human writers' individual backgrounds, their personality traits, their literary styles, this was all authentically theirs. But all of this had been prepared by God for use as his instrument in producing scripture. So when Matthew is writing the gospel according to Matthew, his personality quirks, the way he thinks about things, the way he wants to convert the Jews specifically by showing the Old Testament scriptures, all this comes out in his gospel. So that the Gospel of Matthew is 100% written by Matthew, but it's also 100% written by God. This is a mystery, but it's, it's a fantastic one. It's wonderful. It's one of the reasons why it's so amazing to be a Christian. You know, if you were to look at the Old Testament, you read the Psalms of David. You read Psalm 23, for example. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want this beautiful, beautiful psalm. Or what about Psalm 51? That might even be a better example. So David commits adultery and murder and then pens a psalm of repentance. And when he writes this psalm, it is 100% his words. It's his repentance. And it comes from his heart. And yet God is so in control of David as he pens this psalm that every word that was written by David was also the exact word that God wanted to be written. And because God superintended all of this, because God was in control of all this, it means that every word we have in our Bible is 100% free from error. There's not a single mistake intended in the scriptures. There's not a single mistake contained in the scriptures, but in the way that the Bible flows and we see all these different books and all these different time periods portrayed, all of it is 100%. And here's the fancy word for it. Inerrant meaning free from all error and infallible, which means incapable of error. So this is the Bible that we hold in our hands. This is why we prize this book. It's why when you go to a church service, you know, like many of the church services today in, in modern evangelicalism where, you know, there's mega churches that have coffee in the in the lobby and it's super, super comfortable, super hip, super cool. Many of these churches don't have a focus on what's important, which is the scriptures. And you could go for an entire service in many churches in America and not even hear one verse of the word of God. Whether it's in the music, in the preaching, whatever it is. Because people in their fallen state would rather hear something about self-improvement or Self-help or just a word of encouragement that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. But when you walk into a true church, a true apostolic church, you're going to get the word of God on that Sunday. Guaranteed. Because that's what's important. The word of God is what saves us. Because the Bible is the very word of God, it has a power to it. That nothing else has. So when Jesus at the end of his ministry on the night of his betrayal is praying for the disciples. And you can read his entire prayer in John 17. He says something that's so beautiful. He says sanctify them. By thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. What does sanctify mean? Well it means to make holy. It means to make set apart. And we talked about this earlier in episode one when we talked about God's holiness. But Jesus' prayer is, Sanctify them, Father, by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the very means on earth for us to become holy is the word of God. And then we look, in, uh, we look further in the epistles when Paul talks about the armor of God. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And then the last thing he mentions, which is the only offensive weapon listed in the armor of God. Everything else is defensive. The only thing that's offensive is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we see in Hebrews that the word of God is actually likened to a two-edged sword and that it's even sharper than a two-edged sword. And that it's living and it's able to divide and it's able to read the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Bible is not just any book. And many of us, if you're a Christian listening to this, you have experienced this firsthand. Where the word of God has come to you and has convicted you. And the word of God is able to read your mail like nobody else. Because it's the way that God speaks to us. And he knows us better than anybody else. So this is why, through all of these Bible studies that we do, that's why it's called a Bible study. We tether ourselves, we anchor ourselves to the scriptures and to the word of God. That's what's important. And that's what brings salvation to us. So the last point that I'll make is that all true Christians have a love for the word of God. I wasn't planning on reading this to you, but I want to read you a little bit of John 10. This is such a beautiful passage. It has to do with Jesus calling himself the shepherd. Uh, And it is just, it is just beautiful. Hold on just a sec. Okay, here we go. We'll start at verse 7 and we're going to read for a little bit until we get to the really key passage Actually, we're just going to start at verse 1. Let's do it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth. Them out. Notice the importance of the voice. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This is something that all Christians identify with. We know. When a doctrine is based on the word of God and when it's based on the traditions of men. And when it's based on the traditions of men, we see it as the voice of a stranger. And we don't follow that. Verse six, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you. I am the door of the sheep. There's so many analogies here and so many metaphors that are so beautiful. We do not have the time to unpack them. But if you want to uncover one of the most beautiful, just wealth of doctrine in the whole Bible, go to the Gospel of John. It's unbelievable. All that ever came before me, this is verse 8, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Again, back to their hearing. I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd Whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. And then further on down in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The words that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Here we go. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. This is what it means that we say that Christians love the word of God. We're drawn to the word of God. Because it's the voice of our Savior. It's the voice of our Shepherd. You remember Psalm 1. This is such a beautiful way to set the tone for all the Psalms when it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate. Day and night, and if you want to pray for a greater love of the Word of God, pray Psalm 19. Pray Psalm 19, Jesus. I want to read you the first eight verses of Psalm 119 because it uses all these different names that which you'll see for the Scriptures. It calls it the Law of God, the Statutes of God, His Commandments, His Precepts, His Ways. So here's the first eight verses of Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I have learned of thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes, oh forsake me not utterly. So a love for the word of God, for the law of God, for his statutes, his commandments, his ways, his testimonies. This is what marks Christians. Well, hopefully this was helpful to you. Um, hopefully it kind of gives you a, a little bit of a foundation if you're listening to this and you really you know, are just starting to look into what the scriptures are, what Christianity is. Hopefully this helps you. Uh, next time we're going to talk a little bit about sin. What is sin and how um, has God solved the sin problem for us at Calvary? God bless y'all. Y'all have a great night.